Well, I hope you've read Matthew 19 for today. And um, that's our chapter for today, where Jesus teaches about marriage and divorce. Um, and the end of the chapter is the story of the rich young ruler, another story that we've thought about recently uh, on a recent Sunday morning. But let's, uh, let's think generally about what, what we might find here in this chapter, Matthew 19. Uh, we'll start at the beginning and think about God's will for marriage. Um, so verses 1 through 12 of this chapter revolve around the issues of marriage, divorce, and singleness. Because of the cultural climate we live in, um, when we come to passages like this one, we tend to hyper-focus on what it says about divorce because divorce is just so prevalent in our culture and time. Uh, and while this passage does say something about divorce, focusing entirely on that question from this passage is ignoring or being blind to the real issue and the bigger picture. The main point of this passage is no more about divorce, verses 17 and 9, than it is eunuchs and singleness in verses 10 to 12. I mean, to be sure, those things are addressed, but and they're not unimportant. But if you watch Jesus closely here, he very clearly indicates what is the most important issue. Do you notice how Jesus keeps trying to bring the Pharisees back to the main point? Their initial question in verse 3 is missing the bigger picture, Jesus says. Jesus doesn't answer their specific question immediately, but starts talking about what their focus should have been on, not divorce, but on what God's design of marriage has been, quote-unquote, from the beginning, verses 4 and 8. Jesus does eventually declare to them that, in verse 9, that, that sexual immorality is a permissible, not mandatory, but permissible reason to divorce, but is quick to add that all these exceptions allowing divorce in certain circumstances were given uh, in the first place because of, quote, our hardness of heart. He says that in verse 8. In other words, our own sin causes us to pervert and fight against God's good and holy design for a man and a woman in marriage, verses 4 to 6. His good and holy design for a man and woman in marriage is that they, quote, become one flesh and, quote, hold fast to one another. It says that in verse 5, and that's just coming all the way from Genesis 2, from the very beginning. And that all recognize that it is the Lord who has put these two together so that it is contrary to this divinely joined union for a separation to take place. You don't have to live in this world very long to, re to realize that this world is a complicated place because of our sin. Sin makes all marriages hard. The book that I normally take um, engaged couples through during marriage counseling is a book by Paul Tripp called What Did You Expect? Redeeming the Realities of Marriage. He wrote that book um, for couples who experience hardship in marriage and the, so what what did you expect it's two sinners living together and I, I think those things are good to know going into a marriage sin makes all marriages hard but none of these hard realities of our sinful world are insurmountable to our gracious God who designed the marriage union between a man and a woman to survive and overcome all obstacles uh, until death do us part we should always hold out hope for restoration Lifetime commitment and a lifetime of faithfulness to that commitment is his design. And he will give you the grace you need to make that happen if you desire it. Two, children in the kingdom. 
there's a little there's a little short um, just uh, two ver- three verses in the middle of the chapter titled "Let the Children Come to Me." Uh, that's verses thirteen through fifteen, and Jesus again uses children to illustrate the humility uh, necessary to enter in His kingdom, and that's just a repeated theme again and again in Matthew's gospel. Jesus just spoke that way in the last chapter in in Matthew 18, verses 2 to 4. You remember that. And now the issue appears again. Matthew emphasizes humility again as a segue into the next episode in the chapter, the last one, where Jesus encounters a rich young man desiring eternal life. So let's think about that. Again, we thought about this um, from Luke's gospel, I guess Luke's account of this this story uh, in Sunday school a few weeks, a couple of weeks ago. So in Matthew, this story is found in verses 16 through 30, and it presents a a rich young man approaching Jesus, asking, What good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? That's verse 16. Now, he came asking this question, perhaps because the law of Moses um, that he was raised under declared uh, in Leviticus 18.5, if a person does these, in other words, if a person does keep my statutes and my rules, he shall live by them. Uh, Jesus, therefore, tells this man, keep the commandments as the law requires if he desires eternal life, verse 17. Well, the rich young man, evidently forgetting the devastating truths that that uh, David and Isaiah set forth in the Old Testament. For example, Psalm 53.3 says, there is none who does good, not even one. <laughs> or Isaiah says in Isaiah 64.6, all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Well, this man, apparently overlooking those statements, proudly replied to Jesus, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Well, this man needed the humility of that child that Jesus had just talked about in verses 13 to 15. Like we said a couple of weeks ago, when Jesus heard this man claim that he had kept all the commandments, he told the man to go and sell all his possessions and give to the poor, verse 21. And like we said, why did he tell him to do this? He's not saying that uh, giving to the poor is a way to etern- a way to earn eternal life. Not at all. Jesus told this man uh, who claimed to have kept all the commandments, he told him to give away all his wealth to illustrate that he hasn't even really kept the first commandment. Do not have uh, any other gods before me. That's the first commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, and Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 7. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Jesus was revealing to this man that his wealth, his money, his possessions was his God. He has stumbled over the very first commandment. We know his wealth was his God because at Jesus' suggestion that he sell it and give it away, verse 22 says the man walked away sorrowful and dejected. The reality is the Lord does require of us that we live a life of perfect obedience and allegiance to him. Matthew 5, 48 says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. The other reality is none of us has or can or ever will do that. That's Romans 3. Just read Romans 3. You'll have a sober view of yourself. (laughs) And it's when you realize the weight of those two truths that you really and truly fall to your knees in thankful worship that Jesus Christ condescended to live every moment of his earthly life in perfect obedience to the commands and will of God. John 17, 4 says that, Hebrews 4, 15, 1 Peter 2, 22. Because Jesus lived the perfect life that the rich young man here in Matthew 19 couldn't live and that we can't live, 
we have a way to stand righteous before our holy God. Through faith in Jesus, God the Father looks at us as if we have lived the perfect life that Jesus lived in our place. Give God glory today for his limitless and matchless grace that is shown here in Matthew chapter 19.